Welcome back to another episode of Persuasion by the Pint. I'm Jonathan Taylor, along with Sean McCool. Sean, today we, uh, we're going to get into um, a couple of things today. We've got um, a guest joining us shortly, going to be talking about some of the uh, Craft Brew Marketing Awards coming up. Who knew uh, there was Craft Brew Marketing Awards, right? <laughs> That's right. People are wasting their time too. on the Golden Globes and there's a Craft Beer Marketing Awards going on, like crazy yeah yeah it's pretty pretty uh, impressive trophies there too i like yeah. that um but well the the, uh, the majority of our segment we've we've got him joining us our guest joining us here shortly going to be with us for like 10 minutes to talk about that but then we're going to get into talking about um one of to a topic that we've discussed in the past but maybe we're going to take a different angle on this yeah. uh from the classic book breakthrough advertising we, it's been a while since we reviewed it, thought it would be a good time to revisit that. I mean, that's just a book you should revisit every year, but we might yeah. take a little different approach. Yeah, we might uh, question some things. I mean, times have changed. <laughs> Is the book that's still right. relevant? I mean, that's, yeah. uh, some of the questions we'll be asking, I know that's sacrilegious in the world of <laughs> copywriting and persuasion, but what? I think it's time to question some things in the book. So stay tuned for that. Mm -hmm. fast forward whichever you want to do i don't care yeah exactly um, but yeah we're gonna um we're gonna talk about a little our beers and then bring jim on and yeah um find out about these awards and who knows maybe there's even some listeners that might want to uh put their name in i think there's still time so. yeah that's right that's right but yeah so uh do you want to bring jim on yeah absolutely you have a bio? jim there welcome to the show hey guys yeah that's everybody yeah <laughs> huge crowd today huge crowd today. that's the kind of applause you get when somebody wins that uh let's see which what am i looking at here the uh which one is that the the golden has got to be the first place right uh our first place is actually what we call the global crushy that's the clear oh okay i like it oh. and then Can yeah fill that thing up with beer. i bet you could fill that thing up with beer well, it's funny you say that because um, the original award we had for the first couple of years was actually made by the same manufacturer that makes the Emmy Award and the MTV yeah. Moonman. Right. And we decided last year to reinvent it. And it now uh, is 100% made in uh, the USA by a company called Steel Taps. Yep. And uh, it's actually a tap handle now. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so if you can see that top part actually pops off magnetically, you could use it on your award-winning beer, tap, and then put it back in and put it back on the shelf. Very cool. That's like amazing. That. Multi-purpose. Everything's reusable these days. <laughs> has to be. Yes, absolutely. So to well, our uh, listeners, we have Jim McCoon. We probably should have said your full name. Yeah. Uh, he is the founder of the Craft Beer Marketing Awards. Uh, you're looking at the site as we speak. Um, and uh, he's going to give us a little insight into this. Um, tell us all about these awards. But first, before we jump into that, Jim, if you don't mind, Sean and I are going to do a little toast. We're going to share what we're having. Maybe you could be a little judge of what we've got here. Maybe sure. the artwork. Maybe drinking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want to go first, John? Yeah. So I've got a, uh, a milk porter on today. It is the, uh, it's called Coco Bunny um, from uh, the folks at Creature Comforts. 
Delicious. Uh, creature comforts. Are they? Uh, they're not on the awards list, are they, Jim? Uh, they have won <laughs> in the past for sure. Oh, have they? Okay, oh, cool. Yeah. Good awesome. choice. All right, cocoa bunny. So let me tell you about cocoa bunny. Is a milk porter brewed with toasted coconut, cocoa nibs, and coffee. Flavors are rich, velvety, and balanced. The coffee is is an Ethiopian blend from a thousand faces coffee. Never heard of it. Um, so, uh, based out of Athens, Georgia, of course, I hear these guys, I think I've heard these guys on a local radio show before out of Athens. Um, so, uh, it'll be interesting. A little, little, uh, coconut, uh, and coffee. Well, Jonathan, we're on the same page, same wavelength today. Oh, all right. So I have got um, Fair State Co-op, Favor of the Foxes. It is a dark coffee lager with vanilla. Ooh. So, yeah, you usually see a stout with something like that. This is a yeah. dark lager with vanilla. It says mm-hmm. Flavor of the Foxes, rich, multi-dark lager with coffee and vanilla, best paired with friends and a board game. So we're not doing a board game, but we'll do a podcast instead. A podcast, yes. Um, 6.5% alcohol by volume. Uh, like I said, Fair State Brewing Cooperative. Not sure where they're out of. But I liked, I thought it had a very like Dunkin' Donuts kind of look to it. It does. Those the brown colors. and the pink. The orange, and the orange. Yeah, the pink. Beautiful. Yeah, yep. it's very simple and nice. Jumped off the shelf at me. Uh, but you're having bunnies. I'm having foxes. We're just <laughs> coffee, vanilla, like we're doing all the whole thing. So, uh, and it's definitely dark. I mean, that's a dark lager. Yeah. So, it is. Wow. Uh, in my Yeti cup. But yeah, let's cheers it up and we'll taste it up and then uh, we'll hear about cheers. what Jim's doing. <laughs> Jim, you can judge our clink our uh <clears throat> you can judge the darkness maybe you can judge the darkness of a beer hold that up sean they All right. both look pretty <laughs> opaque to me yeah like there's the, the no Jonathan, that's that's got that nice creamy head on there i don't know yeah. that looks good yeah mine is not as um <clears throat> Well, Not as I wish I head. wasn't participating in uh, moist, <laughs> moist January, but uh, yeah, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm sorry for the temptation there, Jim. We're, we're uh, no intention whatsoever. <laughs> I'm out oh. here on Long Island, that uh, we have 67 <laughs> breweries now, so of course, wow. So, there's a yes, tell us a little bit about the um, I've heard I've got a friend here who has a brewery, I'm in Austin, um. He's got a brewery up in Temple, and he's told me that the breweries have had a tough year or two recently. Um, what are you seeing in just a brewery industry and the environment? And then we'll talk specifically about the awards. Yeah, you know, it's it's mixed. I, I think a lot of the news of, you know, people drinking less beer is coming from big beer. Um, from what we see uh-huh. here, craft beer, I mean, everyone is like expanding Mm-hmm. Uh, most of my clients, most of my friends' breweries, you know, they've only started in the last five to seven years as small microbreweries. Uh, one of them now has, you know, a multi-million dollar brewery restaurant on the water that they just built last year. So, you know, it's a mixed bag. Um, I, I do think people <clears throat> might be shifting, you know, the, their drinking habits a little bit, but uh, craft beer is as strong as ever. Yeah. It definitely seems like craft beers are also with the breweries are becoming much more of an experiential thing. Right. Where you, you know, it's now kind of like the corner pub, you know, 
Jonathan and I grew up in the South. We didn't really have the corner pub like you might have in New York or Boston or, you know, the Northeast. And I think we're getting that culture a little bit down here with breweries, you know, out here in Texas where people can go and, you know, play cornhole and have a beer. Mm -hmm. And like, it really has this sense of community. So I think those will continue to do well. I think people are just trying to produce craft beer without that environment. Uh, might they, I don't know. Had a really hard time since COVID. You know mm-hmm. that, that kind of like killed draft beer for a minute. Mm-hmm. A lot of the breweries that did pivot and move into packaged goods yeah. um, have done really well, and um, okay. you know probably going to stick with packaged goods. So you know they, they've done a lot of hard work to survive over the last couple of years. So I think what you're just seeing right now is a little bit of goods exhaustion. I mean, we drank so much since 2019, it's berserk. So it's yeah. just going to take a reset button, which, you know, sure. I'm sure will be here before even the summer. Well, maybe we can get rid of seltzers and that would solve a lot of problems. It's starting <laughs> to happen. <laughs> that would, that, that's, I think, because I saw the stat um, last week or the week before where um, beer sales were the lowest since 1999. Um, and I think you're probably right. There's probably some big beer pushing those stats and it's probably just their beer it's probably not really taking into account all the microbreweries right the debacle that they got into with the advertising which you know it's kind of just oh yeah right that was a big yeah that was a big uh hit on you know bud light last year but that's actually a good i think that's a good point because i don't think there's many craft brew drinkers that are going to seltzers i think it's probably the people that are drinking the you know the light um you know, like domestic beers. beers that, uh, the, you know, the large, probably a lot of the female drinkers actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, We're millennials. That the craft yeah. beer and the craft seltzer, you know, we're almost sort of equal planes there for a bit, but the, right. the, the malt based hard seltzers are starting to shrink a little bit. And I mean, you see non-alcoholic seltzer now and I'm like, isn't that just seltzer? Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> what are we doing here? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, Jim, tell yeah, us going on. Tell us what you do. Um, you know your your organization there, what you do, and then about the awards coming up. Yeah, like the the age old story was uh, Jackie is my partner in our marketing agency where we do a lot of craft beverage and craft beer marketing and design, and we had all this great work in 2019, and we had always attending these beer tasting competitions where brewmasters are winning awards. So we wanted to just enter our uh, marketing and design. And to our surprise, there was no competition. So we decided let's just create our own. We called it the craft beer marketing awards. Took about a year, 2019 to 2020 to design it and build it um, and get some judges and uh, we were off to our races in 2020. And, you know, uh, it did so well in the first year that we decided to go global in our second year. Wow. So we just kickstarted our fifth season. And we actually got away from regions. And that, that's usually how we evented in the past. We were competing against um, your own area mm-hmm. for those categories and then you had the option to upgrade and with that same entry compete globally we've done away with that Um, now the competition is fierce than ever because every entry is competing at the global level 
So wow. that, that's a pretty exciting new um, option wow. this year. Yeah, so th these people will be world champions this this go around, huh? Yeah, it's tough because literally only the top ranked um, winner in each category will win that global crushy award, and then the uh, the rest will battle it out between the platinum and the gold. Oh wow! So tell us some of the categories that y'all look at. So we did a big adjustment this year. We we used to have about forty categories, and it became unwieldy. Um, some categories just seem to be undeserved. So what we did this year is narrow it down to 25 of our top categories. Okay. Um, of course, our uh, number one category is a 16-ounce can. That's sort of like the epitome of the industry and where you know most of those marketing and design resources go. Is so that'd be this, this can here, right? The, yeah, I mean, that would be a perfect tall. contender. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, um, we run the gamut of everything: website, photography, social media, tap handles, wow. <clears throat> tap room. Oh wow! I would love, yeah. So I see you have a list on your website, which is craftbeermarketingawards.com. There's a link to last year's winners where you can start to kind of click through and see some of the uh, um, some of the winners, yeah. things like that. The last four years, winner's gallery is there. Uh, every winner in every category. It's a great resource, a great a point of inspiration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you scroll down. Yeah, there you go, Jonathan. Oh, okay. You got to scroll further. Yeah. Just the sheer, you know, creativity and innovation that goes into this stuff. It, it, it's amazing. It's really like no other industry. Yeah, I mean, it's... You know, we've talked before on this show, um, you know, it's it's kind of like wine went through the same transformation where the labels had to get more and more interesting. And I think craft beer has done the same thing where the, you know, the, the branding has to stand out, uh, you know, because that's, you, you really do judge a book by a cover, or, you know, a craft beer by its container. Well, you, you know, guys. 97, when I was marketing my first brewery, there was only 415 breweries in the whole country. <laughs> when I'm working for my clients now, there's 15,000 breweries in the country. Wow. Like it, it's dramatic difference. Yeah. How, so what do you, what do you guys kind of look for? Uh, I mean, that's how many people, well, first, how many people enter um, this and when Wait. can you enter? Is it too late or? No, well, you guys could enter up until February 5th. So right now we're right in the midst of uh, our entry window. Uh, we, you know, we get thousands of entries from all around the globe. Um, if you check out our judges uh, link there, we have close to 700 judges that all volunteer their time. These are all industry professionals from around the world. So that, that is one of the cool parts about entering is your work is being critiqued by, you know, your peers um, globally. Yeah. And a, a lot of these guys will request the winners, you know, even in the non-winners notes of what did the judges say? Mm. And th they come in uh, two columns, you know, positive comments, negative comments, and the entrants get that and can take that to help ladder up. Very cool. Some of these we've had, I know. I just scrolling. <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, 338 episodes we've had. I'm sure. Oh, uh, 
sure you guys. Oh, we need to start ordering <laughs> some of them. <laughs> like most of them, I don't, you know, aren't as familiar, but some of these are. But man, these are some pretty creative designs on the can art. I mean, Sean and I talked. That's kind of one of the things that draw us, you know, because when you're trying to pick a different brew every every week, you're looking for something that stands out first and foremost. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, the art design on these are, are really good. Yeah, that's so, amazing. It takes a lot of judges to to go through it. I it's bet. um a very strict numeric um, way we do things. It's highly mm. encrypted back end that the judges log into. Right. And they, they get a series of questions for each uh, piece that they judge. So it's um it's really serious. It gets heavily competitive. You know, everybody wants to win because the winners go on a year-long uh, PR tour. Wow. So That's amazing. We have an incredible um, PR team that we work with. And mm -hmm. click on our news. That's just four years of competition. You could hardly scroll to the bottom. So <laughs> we really are fortunate that people love to write about us because it is a lot of fun. Hey, you guys have a podcast too, right? We do. What's it called? The that's marketing on tap. I like it. Beautiful. I love that. The uh, 67th top marketing podcast in Croatia. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Can't miss. So what well, do you guys, what do you talk specifically about craft beer marketing or you talk marketing in general or what do you cover on that podcast? Yeah, we talk about innovation in marketing and design um, specifically in beverage. We try to have on uh, past winners, past entrants, judges. Um, and we've been really fortunate to have some amazing sponsors over the years. This year we have um, DHL and Azuzu. I thought you were going to say Bud Light. <laughs> no thank you they might be they might be looking for any avenue they can find it's an answer but uh no so yeah that's a, we have a great category uh 26 this year it's a free category to enter and that's sponsored by azuzu um commercial trucks of america okay and that's for any artist to design a wrap for their sexy two-in-one beer vehicles which are these cool refrigerated trucks that have the tap handles on the side and they literally roll in with the whole party. Yeah. So that's something if you're listening, you know, and you're a designer or um, creative person, it's a great opportunity and a pretty cool prize to get some tickets to the uh, craft brewers conference. Very cool. Well, how do people enter and what are all the ways they can kind of find out about you? Um, social things like that. What's what are the best websites and all that? Uh, the best way is thecrushies.com, mm -hmm. aka the Craft Beer Marketing Awards.com. Uh, we're definitely on LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Facebook. And Jackie and I are very accessible by email. Um, you know, we consider ourselves like a networking entity. And really, at the end of the day, as designers and <clears throat> officers ourselves, this whole platform was built to recognize and celebrate people that weren't getting the attention for doing all that amazing work. Yeah. Love That's it. That's amazing. <clears throat> so how did this start with, was it, <clears throat> who are the original founders? I mean, that it's kind of sat down and planned this whole thing out. I've had this idea 
probably for the last 20 years almost. And it was just sort of like finding the right time to do it. Yeah. And uh, we had no idea, like the second we were inventing this, we were heading right into COVID. That didn't really <laughs> affect fun. us. We, we lost yeah. quite a few judges that, you know, were actually sick. Right. But other than that, you know, we had pulled it off. But uh, Jackie DiBella and Ernie Canadeo, we're the three founders of the Craft Beer Marketing Awards. Uh, we come from the EGC group. We're a beverage marketing um, agency in New York. Mm -hmm. and, I was going to uh, say, those are very New York names. Oh, yeah. We're, you're either Jim, John, or Tony out here. So, <laughs> so you had this, so you already had the marketing agency prior to you starting the, um, starting the awards, right? Yeah. Okay. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's we're brilliant. in our uh, 11th year of the uh, craft beverage marketing division, but myself, I've been in uh, beer marketing since 1996. That's awesome. <clears throat> we've had some, um, we've had some guests on that you probably would, uh, recognize, um, some that I'm sure I, they, the, the name names will one particular, what's the guy that came on that, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy that sold out, um, sold his business to, of course he sold his business to a bigger brand, uh, Budweiser. Oh yeah. Uh, one of the Pete, early. Uh, Pete's uh, Wicked Ale. Yeah, Pete's Wicked Ale. Um, Pete Slosberg? Yeah, yeah, he came on. Uh, he joined us, I guess, it was some time ago, but it was yeah. a cool story about oh, his. Yeah. He's actually one of the reasons I got into beer, so. Yeah, hmm. yeah, that's Very awesome. Cool. Well, um, before we let you go, we're going to um, make you suffer through our ratings, Jim. We give our ratings <laughs> for our beers a one to five pints. I want to hear what Jonathan's was, and I'm sure he wants to hear what mine was. So, Jonathan, what would you, after a few sips, how would you rate your um, cocoa nib beer? Cocoa bunny. Cocoa, cocoa bunny. Cocoa bunny. All right. Let's, On a scale uh, of one so to I'm five. giving this, Jim, I, I'm i not so sure about the artwork, but the taste is amazing. I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to give this one a four. I'm going to give it a four, eight. It's really good. Yeah. All right. Well, Mine has a lot of coffee coming through, which I like. Because if, yeah. I mean, if you buy something on the, the, you know, it says dark coffee lager on the can, mm -hmm. you want the coffee taste to come through. Yep. Um, and it really does. And it's it, because it's a lager, it's not as sweet as, you know, like um, an Imperial Stout or something mm -hmm. like that. So I, I'm, I'm kind of in that same ballpark, Jonathan. I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go 475. Okay. It's really strong. I'm going to give the, I love the can though. So I'm going to give the can, like we don't usually do the cans, but for you, Jim, we're doing the cans. What would you, <laughs> on a scale of one to five pints, what would you give that can Jim? Or even just pick a winner if you don't want to give a rating. I, that's What's like right up my alley. Um, I would say the creature comforts is probably a four and that uh, favor of the foxes. I'd give a five. Yeah. Yep. I, I thought yeah. you would, I, I would think that too. Yeah, this just stands the simplicity of it. The other we one's have a little busy. Hour, I would break down why. Uh, <laughs> we might have to have you back on then after <laughs> after the awards, and maybe you can talk about the winners. That would be fantastic. I always Make love it part of the PR place. tour. Definitely, and I'll be drinking then, so I'll be a lot funner. <laughs> yeah, there where you go. Where is the um, Where's the show this year? Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Okay, cool. Wow. Very yes. nice. It was here in, uh, of course. I'm in. I, I'm in Knoxville, so it was just a. It was a stone's throw away or a little more than that for me over in Nashville. 
uh, last year, but uh, I don't think I'm going out to Vegas this year. Not for that. <laughs> you know, if you ever need a ticket to the show or anything like that, always hit me up. And Oh, yeah. There we go. Hey, Sean. There we go. Let's <laughs> do this. That's right. Tax write off. Um, yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, we'll be sure to uh, post the link on our show page for this. And like Sean said, definitely got to have you on afterward uh, for certain, and we'll stay in touch. Sounds great. Thecrushies.com. Check it out. Appreciate all the support from everybody. You bet. Right. Thanks, Jim. Have a thanks, great Jim. day. Great weekend. Hey. Thank you guys. Yep. You bet. That was good. Yeah. That's amazing. Good story. That's cool, man. Just, you know, it's kind of like you do with your podcast and composites industry, you know, it's like, uh, yeah. Um, you know, having that other outlet to support yeah, you marketing create, business is really cool. Yeah. I mean, think of the influence you create. I mean, you already have from a standpoint, you already have the, uh, the marketing agency, but creating something, uh, in that industry and it's beneficial. It brings everybody together. I mean, um, and it kind of brings that competition, you know, people want to compete, you know, all, all of these different phases, whether it's design, whether it's logo, whether it's, you know, your marketing, you know, I don't, I, I mean, I mean there it's crazy. So many- some of the, yeah, some of the categories, I mean, like, you know, like you said, the, uh, um, and just the, the keg handles, you know, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> I don't even think that's the right term. I went blank on that, <laughs> but, but anyway, yeah, I mean, there's just the number of categories. What do you say? Twenty five yeah. different categories. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, if you if you know if you own a brewery or you know someone who owns a brewery, make sure they know about these awards. Maybe yeah. get your local area, you know, represented. Um, still time. So yeah, let's jump. Good stuff. It's a, a another great lesson there, Sean. Is like if you <clears throat> sometimes you can create your own community. Right. I mean, just yeah. like you were saying, the, the what I do in composites, um, like if you want to build, if you want to reach your um, target market, sometimes you got to build a community around that uh, yeah. to be the center of influence. And so you're at the center of attention as opposed to you trying to get in the inner circle. Right. You create the circle around you. Um, yeah. Think- what better way to than like give people rewards like, <laughs> exactly oh like, and by man. the way we also we uh, we're also a marketing agency for beer companies i mean how yeah. brilliant is that uh, yeah you know, so such a great tie-in for sure <laughs> man. So. yeah good lesson all right well let's uh let's go back in time so we first <laughs> we we first started talking about this book breakthrough advertising by eugene schwartz which is one of the if you ask most copywriters and a lot of direct response marketers like to name their top five books, especially copywriters um, or marketers that came up with copywriting chops, this is usually on their list, you know, in the, in the top five. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's an old book. It's published, you know, back in the seventies or maybe 68, something like that. I don't remember the exact date. Um, uh, let's see, what was it 1964 was the original, wow. original copyright on it. So, or is that 54? <clears throat> I don't know, 84 something. I can't tell. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's an old, old book. Um, so the question is, is it still relevant? 
we covered this book in depth over about what four or five episodes mm-hmm. early yeah early podcast. on in the in our show like early the, beginnings yeah. i think it's like the first 10 you know mm-hmm. somewhere in the first 10 podcasts yeah. when we um, were meeting in person yeah <clears throat> so we thought you know five five years later it's time to <laughs> come back and revisit and see if it's still a lot see if it's still good tear it so, apart let's uh so let's jump in um First, a couple of facts on Eugene Schwartz, if you're not familiar. Eugene Schwartz was a really well-known copywriter, and he's famous for his, his well, breakthrough approaches to copy. Mm-hmm. Wrote a lot of stuff for his own products and books, um, for other people. Did a lot of stuff with um, Boardroom Publications, Phillips Publishing back in the day. So he was a big information you know, what we would consider the information marketing world, lots of books and reports and things like that seem to be his stuff that he did really well with newsletters, all those kind of things. And some of his headlines and stuff are crazy, which we'll probably get into on the next episode. We're going to break this up into, into two episodes. Um, really kind of hit his peak at fifties and sixties. Um, he was also a, avid modern art collector had one of the largest private collections in the world at the time Mm. so i guess he was doing okay Um, must have been yeah um, but one of his things that he's best known for was the his ability to understand consumer psychology um and kind of what you know why were people making the decisions they were making when they saw the ads right um and the other thing is he typically only wrote for three hours a day that's amazing focus, right? Yes. I mean, you just yeah. focus in three hours a day. Yeah, and, and uh, rumor has it that he he did it in like thirty three minute and thirty three second um times time slots, mm-hmm. and they would take like a five minute break. And the reason it was thirty three thirty three was not anything like scientific, but he had a egg timer. Okay. And that's the highest it would go was three. So he would just hit three, 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 three. Oh, okay. So not real scientific. <laughs> that was as high as it would go. So that's what he picked. Wow. Um, so yeah, I don't know who cooks eggs for 33 minutes, but uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the story as I heard it. 33.33. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's amazing. I mean, obviously being able to, to create that much within a three hour span obviously focus concentration. Um, but you know, one of his things, like you said, Sean had an amazing ability to understand human psychology and how people really ultimately make decisions on how they buy. Um, and so we're going to pick apart this, uh, you know, you know, human psychology really doesn't change. Um, computer, I mean, I'm sorry, not computer consumer habits, um, can change with technology. Uh, but I don't think the psychology behind it necessarily changes, but we're going to analyze that from a point of some of his, uh, some of his chapters on, uh, mass desire, state of awareness, um, you know, state of sophistication, the power of new, um, I can already tell you, we're going to play devil's advocate, but I can already tell you that <laughs> some of these things don't change. <laughs> the well, power yeah. of new, the shiny, the shiny thing that 
always gets our attention and distracts us and pulls us away, I don't think is ever going to, uh, is yeah, that's interesting. like to pull that apart. Why is that? Like if, if, if psych human psychology doesn't change, but the new stuff changes, like, how do you keep those two tied together? You know, yeah. that's, that's kind of one of the things he starts with in chapter mm -hmm. one, right. Is this idea of, of mass desire, right? It's probably, you know, really the first three chapters, um, are what he's most, uh, and probably chapter six, the stages of stages of sophistication. Yep. Um, are some of the things he's best known for. And by the way, if you, if you don't know Eugene Schwartz and you're just, you know, you're listening and you're kind of new to this world, um, pretty much every top marketing guru today yeah. pulled their ideas from this book. Like Absolutely. This is one of those it's foundation. Four touchstone books, this and, um, you know, my life in advertising by Claude Hopkins. Mm -hmm. uh, that's another big one, but yep. this I think gets more technical than any other book out there. Yeah. Of the classic books. Cause yep. it really gets into, um, it's, it's very almost like a textbook. It really is. You and, can go and, deep. Yeah. And deep it into takes it. a little, you're not just going to like pick this up and go through it in a weekend. No, it's, it's pretty dense and you'll need to go by, you know, chapter by chapter and kind of let it digest and, those kind of things. But what he says right out of the gate, and I think, um, you know, he says, copy cannot create desire for a product. It can only take the hopes, dreams, fears, and desires that already exist in the hearts of millions of people and focus those already existing desires onto a particular product. This is the copywriter's task, not to create the mass desire, but to channel mm -hmm. and direct it. Yeah. So a couple things is like, so what, when he says mass desire, what is that? Like, I think we need to define that. Um, so hopes, dreams, of, hopes, dreams, desires, emotions. What, I mean, what do people throughout, uh, you know, the beginning of time or at least, you know, in recent history, I guess the last, two or 300 years. I mean, I, th I think things change shift a little bit, but you know what, you know, I think that the desire to be successful, um, the desire to be financially free, those are things, uh, well, was, I guess. What's it that said? Um, I don't know if it was, was it Mae West or Roy Rogers? One of those old people in the like fifties or sixties, they said, you can never be too rich, too thin and too good looking. <laughs> That's right. And that kind of summed it up, right? You can That's never right. Be too rich, too thin or good looking. Absolutely. Now, here's the thing. That's what I used to think he was specifically talking about when he said mass desire. But mm -hmm. as I was going back and rereading for this episode, this is why you should reread books. He actually has a very specific definition for mass desire right in the you know second page of the first chapter. Mm -hmm. And it's he says, we can define this mass desire quite simply it is the public spread of a private want. Hmm. So it's not just that this, that there's this want to be rich or this want to be thin or good looking, right. Or whatever the, the thing mm -hmm. is, it's that it's, it's spread far enough and enough that it has created mass desire, not private desire. Right. Yeah. So, and the reason that's important in the context of the book 
is because you need a big enough market to market to. Right. Like, you know, you know, the old Ryan Dice underwater basket weaving was always his example because it's a ridiculous niche and probably two people in the world do it, you know? So nobody was ever going to just copy that niche. <coughs> um, so he goes on to say, it is the moment when a private desire is shared by a statistically significant number of people large enough to profitably rep repay selling these people that a market is born. So it's not really a mass desire until there are enough people to support the advertising and the sales of your products to that market. Yeah. Which I thought was an interesting distinction that I'd missed before. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and you know, he says in here, that could be someone, you know, there may be thousands of people who like really fine antiques, but there may be millions of people, um, you know, who want to lose weight. Yeah. Tens of millions. Right. Mm -hmm. And the affordability or the ability to advertise those markets is very different because of the size of that, mm -hmm. that market. Right. So, right. So there may be mass desire, but that mass desire may be a thousand people or it may be a million people or maybe yeah. a billion people. Right. Right. So I think Depending that's on your thing. industry or niche. Right. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> so um, the, the, uh, the, the, the money, in other words, the expense or the time, the expense of time and resources, <laughs> you know, is probably uh, related to the size of that niche as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, if you're going after, uh, if you're going after weight loss niche, well, that's huge. Um, uh, of course you're, you're it's easier to find those people. Absolutely. So, yeah. There may be more competition, which we'll get into in later chapters, right. but there's also more people, you know, you can throw a dart and hit somebody like yep. you could throw a dart blindfolded and hit somebody who needs to lose weight. Right. Absolutely. It's not that hard to do. That's right. Even right. people that don't need to lose weight think they need to lose think weight. They need to, right. But try <laughs> to find the people who like high-end you know, yeah. antiques from the 15th century. Right. A little bit smaller market. Mm -hmm. um, probably not going to be found at your local PTA meeting, you know, whatever. Like you're going to have to really know who those people are and know where to find them. Yeah. But it could still be considered a mass desire if there's a couple thousand of them in the world. Yeah. Because they're probably, even though it's a smaller niche, they're probably willing to spend more, right? Right. Those are those are those are smaller markets that are increase. I mean, that have a higher margin. Um, yeah. In yeah, terms of your industry, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> another thing I saw in chapter one was um, that I kind of read over before was this idea he has mm -hmm. called the amplif amplification effect. Mm -hmm. Um. And it's basically, you know, we talk about ROI all the time, return yeah. on investment, right? You put a right. dollar in, you get $2 out. Well, he calls that the amplification effect um, because you, could, you can't just spend a dollar on advertising in and of itself and expect to get $10, $20 back without that mass desire already being there. Yeah. So what you do is because this mass desire is there, it, it creates this amplification effect that allows you to put a dollar in and get two, three, four, ten, twenty, 20, 
fifty back. Right. So I thought that was just another little thing that you know, like I said, didn't didn't catch the first couple times through the book for whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it stuck out this time as I was as I was going through uh, through it. Um. So you know, he he continues to talk in chapter one. We're not we're not going to go page by page or anything, but um, the importance of tapping into the existing desires rather than trying to create new desires. Yeah. So my question is, one of my questions is, where did new desires come from? Like, you know, because we were talking about there's some kind of core desires. Yeah. But if you if you understand that kind of nuance, like a mar- a mass market could be, you know, people who like fine antiques, then you can start to see, well, there's also a now a mass market for high-end luxury sports cars that probably wasn't there 50 years ago, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting to pay attention to how do these new markets come into being? Yeah. Like how do they go from like a small collector's club, you know, on a Saturday morning, Yeah. you know, to all of a sudden, you know, (laughs) thousands or hundreds of thousands of people want to own a high end exotic sports car, or even, you know, street racer car, you know, how that'd be a good example, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that whole culture that came up and now people are spending a hundred grand on a, you know, Toyota or whatever to trick it out, you know, put a new engine, new suspension, lights, everything else. Right. Right. How do, how, you know, I think that's where I've always looked at this book before. And it's like, yeah, you're just tapping into the big desires, <laughs> but it's much more nuanced than that. It's, it's like, how do you spot and take advantage of these new desires that are coming on? Yeah. So what do you think are some new desires that have come on in the last, well, even since this book was written? Um, <clears throat> so outside of our core desires, I would say, uh, you know, some of the new desires, you know, well, it's, you know, I, I think of like when you're talking about like everybody, there's a, there's a core audience of people that have, um, have their own affinity for something. Yeah. And the easiest way to, ident- sometimes the easiest way to identify that is to take a stroll down the magazine. I know mag- I know we're in 2024, but people still do uh, subscribe to magazines or they still buy magazines. Uh, all you have to do is go down to your, you know, local bookstore and just walk grocery down. Store. Yeah. Yeah. The grocery store. Um you know, Barnes and Noble or a books a million and look at like all the, it, it still blows me away. I'm like, how are these things still making, you know, how are these things, these publications still in business, but they're in business because there's obviously a core audience of people who tap into that, you know, yeah. whether it's quilting, whether it's fine, like you said, antiques, whether it's um, fly fishing, you know, there's yeah. publications dedicated to people that are fly fishermen, and these people spend lots of money. Same with yeah. golfing, that what I love. Uh, people spend lots of money, but there's fly fishing, there's boating, there's airplanes. People that um, are uh, lovers of uh, flying, you know, you can you can just go to your local bookstore and find several publications on aviation and airplanes, and you can flip through it, and you can see all the articles, and then you can see people in the, you know, back of the magazine that are selling XYZ product or, 
you know, X, Y, Z component for your, <laughs> for your private airplane. Yeah. And, um, you know, which is, you know, a lot of money, you know, people are willing to spend money. So all you have to do is take a, a trip to your local bookstore to see, you know, all the people that are willing to spend a lot of money on something that you or I would not even consider. <laughs> like, yeah, I what? Mean, I've, you know, as I'm sitting here drinking a craft beer, yeah, you know, 20 years ago, I didn't, I didn't even know what a craft beer was. Right. Know? Yeah. You know, and that now it's a huge market. I mean, what did Jim just say when he was on? What he, when he started in what ninety seven, there was like nine hundred breweries in the U.S. Now yeah, there's fifteen thousand. That's, right. that's right. So that's yep. a great example mm-hmm. of how a market goes from being a kind of a very niche market to a mass mm-hmm. mass desire type market. Absolutely. And, and and to that and in that genre, you think of you know magazines like Wine Spectator, where you yeah. know it's a publication people people read that are wine lovers. There's cigar aficionado for people that, you know, buy fine cigars and spend a lot of money on some of the best cigars. So, yeah. you you know, you're always going to find a market. Um, and I don't know, I think that that market, I think the, to your question, Sean, since this book's been written, I think the affluence of people have, has gone up For sure, you know, yeah. over time so that people can afford some of the luxuries that probably weren't around and so that's what's, you know, that's what's created these publications is that people now have affinity for things that, you know, only the wealthy could afford back in, you know, you know, Schwartz's time that he's right. probably writing about, but are still willing to spend money. You know, they're, yeah. they're probably not super rich, but they're, you know, they're doing okay enough to spend money on the things that they like. So, and I think also because our world has gotten flatter with technology um, this is not a flat earth theory commentary, <laughs> just, um, which is another niche, <laughs> whole, whole different niche. Um, but because we're, you know, I saw a study that said <coughs> kids, for instance, who are dancers are getting better at dancing faster because of YouTube, because they can see dancers from around the world at all mm. kinds of different skill levels that they can mimic. Cause you know, right. as humans, we learn best by mimicry and watching and observing better than we do any other way. So YouTube right. has really cracked open this world where people, I, I think another good example is cooking, right? Mm, yeah. You just cook now, man, kitchens are hundred thousand dollar kitchens. You got yeah. all these gadgets, you've got 14 yeah. spoons to make one meal. Right. Right. Cause you gotta have the right slotted spoon and then the right, you know, absolutely all these tools and gadgets. Yeah. And the absolutely. Pot, the pans you and can't the, just make a, and, and no longer is a, as a coffee maker sufficient. You have to have so many artistic ways to make coffee nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> You've got yeah. to do French press. Um, and, French and press can, is the best way because you're a schmuck if you use a coffee pot. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, and we could get in like a lot of copywriters. I can hear them out y- yelling at the podcast. <laughs> They're like, um, yeah, but there's a deeper desire behind that. And I understand mm-hmm. that. And I agree with that. I think if you pull back, like, why are people buying nicer <clears throat> coffee machines or sp- spending more on kitchens? It's to make them feel a certain way, blah, blah, blah. Of you course. could get back to the really, really mm-hmm. cool desires. And that's what I used to think this book was about. 
Mm-hmm. But the fact is, it's it's more about tapping into those current mainstream mass desires. Like, it's not just the human nature stuff that he's talking about in this book. Yeah, it's how it's really about these mass trends. I think is almost a better way right. to say it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, obviously, you want to go back into human nature and pull that out, but you know that's very subtle how you have to do that. Like, you know, you you don't you're probably not going to be able to say in copy, although you could do it in hyperbole, I guess. Um, you know, you're going to feel better about yourself because you have this coffee maker on your counter. Every morning when you come out, you'll see it and you'll feel the pride and the prestige. There are certain brands that would do that. Um, but for the most part, that's not how you would write the copy. Right. Um, that's an interesting thing that I've picked up this second time go, or this, this time going through the book. Um, it's probably my third or fourth time going through the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a little nuance I'm picking up. Mm-hmm. Um, so far as we're going through this. Yeah. <clears throat> I think sometimes the desire is created uh, too, that we don't realize until we read the copy, you know, and maybe we don't realize we're in that until we read like, Oh wow. Yeah. That looks pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with that. I think, yeah. You, know, I think you, th- you think about that, right, Sean? Like you, he's like, you've been doing it the same way. Yeah. You, you're been you've been perfectly content with your kitchen and your kitchen gadgets and your the way you make coffee for the longest time until you see until somebody says hmm you know and shows you and and nowadays you know it's not so much through you know back in his day it was through you know readable copy now it's through really good you know video content that you can see you know high quality that really captures your attention you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were just getting into TV, you know, really back in, in his yeah. day. Um, <clears throat> right. And now it's like, you know, if you if you were watching TV and even when we grew up in the 80s, mm-hmm. you, know, you had three channels to choose from. Then Fox came along, you had four channels to choose from, right. maybe some PBS. And, you know, if you could find something on the UHF knob, maybe you could, you know, find something mm-hmm. weird out there. Yeah. Um, but now you know, because of the way things have com- continued to splinter. Yeah. I mean, you have a whole network for, you know, HGTV for just making you want a nicer, bigger house, making you want a nicer kitchen, making you want absolutely that new $30,000 oven that you cook in, you know, twice a week. <laughs> Cause you're doing DoorDash every day. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, Tamara and I have joked about it. It's like, yeah. Why is it that the nicer people's kitchens get the less they cook? <laughs> Like exactly. you go into the project. That's right. And they're cooking some food, the man. Mom is in there cooking for the whole block. Yeah. There's gravy on the stove. I mean, on there's a, like on I a mean four burner electric <laughs> stove, probably from nineteen whatever. <laughs> and it's putting out the best food ever. And That's you right. got people with these hundred thousand dollar fifteen yeah. burner stoves. Absolutely. And they, they're not making anything on it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it's crazy. One 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 example of that. What have you, what is the uh, name of the pan? It's called the hex. Uh, you might think of this. You've probably seen ads for it. The hex. You know, it's like a Gordon Ramsay, Ramsay endorsed. Gordon Ramsay's, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like a hex hex clad. Hex clad. Yes, hex clad. That's it. Hex clad. Yeah. Oh, I gotta have it, right? So yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you're not. Uh, you, you might as well give up any desire to ever cook an omelet. <laughs> If you don't have a hex clad, 
<laughs> you, you might as well just order McDonald's. I mean, yeah. um, but this thing, I mean, and it's really good. I mean, if you've not seen the advertising that they do or some of the ads on wait, Facebook. Wait, wait, wait. Did you buy one? No, I didn't. I oh, have okay. resisted. <laughs> Even I do though have they a, looked really cool. <laughs> yeah, I do have one from from one brand. It's not the hex clad that I've got a I went to a friend's house. They had this pan. Yeah. And I made the best eggs so easy. It was like a non-sticky kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I immediately, when I got home, bought it. And now I use that pan every single day to make my yeah. eggs and omelet because it yeah. just worked. Like, it was really good. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, I've seen those Hexclad commercials. I mean, that's another example, right? We have a whole cooking channel. So yeah. now everybody's <laughs> trying to be, you know, everybody's trying to beat Bobby Flay now because, yeah. right? You got to, right. you can't just mm -hmm. throw out some cheese and crackers. It's got to be a charcuterie board. <laughs> Yeah, the sophistication of the palate has gone up incredibly. I mean, not cut it anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. Now it's got to um, be like imported cheese from that's right. Scandinavia and crackers right. from Europe. Absolutely. I mean, when we were growing up, Sean, uh, it was like, you know, you put your, if you made a homemade pizza, it was like you put it on a, just a, you know, just a pan, you know, just a, you know, tin pan in the oven, you know, you, you flattened out your, your dough in there, you poured your sauce and you, you know, put it in there. You know, our yeah. parents are like nothing fancy, but nowadays yeah, we, you got it. We didn't you gotta have a wood fired, your mini wood fired oven nowadays. Yeah. If you want yeah. a good pizza, right? Yeah. In the outdoor kitchen, it costs as much as <laughs> most people's indoor kitchen. That's right. And we didn't even have homemade pizza growing up. We had Totino's <laughs> 99 right. cents. Perfect. It was as close to school pizza as you could get. That's it. And it would burn the roof of your mouth every time on the first bite. Like lava, man. Lava. I mean, Totino's pizza is the is the ramen noodles of pizza. Yeah. Like, yep. And I still, I still to this day love them. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't get them very often, but I still love them to this day. I don't know why. Just yep. one of those, you know. Oh, they're fantastic. Foods, I love the crunch and the, you know, yeah. you get flat, flat crust. But So let, um, let's ask this, like. You know, if we're tapping into these desires, and we'll mm -hmm. kind of wrap up chapter one with this. Yeah. Um, are we taking or are we taking advantage of people by trying to leverage these and sell them stuff? Well, I think if you're tapping into what they already want, um, you know, you could you could make the argument no. Um, you know, you're tapping into a, um, a desire that's already there. You're not, you know, any good marketer knows that you're not trying to, um, you know, you're not trying to change someone's opinion. You're trying to tap into what they already think. You know, you're not trying to change their desire. You're trying to tap into what's already there. And so you're kind of meeting them there where they already are, although it could be beyond, it could be kind of surface level or, you know, kind of hidden maybe. And, you know, your ads or your marketing has a tendency to uh, kind of bring that out. You know, it's kind of like yeah. me. I mean, like, I, you know, example of Hexclad, no, no reasonably, you know, I've never would have thought about a pan until I saw the ad, you know, and yeah. then it starts talking about the reason. Now, my hidden desire would be, yeah, I'd love to cook a better, I'd love to be able to cook an omelet faster without, you know, being able to turn the heat up 
you know, without using tonne of butter and then, you know, burning the omelet or burning the egg in the pan. Which is really you know, about the cleanup more than anything, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Right? It's just like, ugh, if I cook an omelet, yeah, it's going to get all over the pan. Then I'm yeah. going to have to clean the pan. That's really what that's about. That's right. Like, it's really more about the, I mean, some people it's going to be having the perfect omelet with the, just the perfect amount of brown and, yeah, right, the, just that that's perfect right. look. Um, like me with my grilled cheese sandwiches, like <laughs> that's an art form to me. It's an art. Yes. Um, but <clears throat> I think for, me, for a lot fish, of people, especially yeah. with omelets and eggs, it's like, ugh, yeah. it's such a mess to clean that's up right. afterwards. That's right. But man, if I can just slide those eggs right out of the pan and mm-hmm. then like almost not even have to clean the pan, like you can just right. take a paper towel and wipe it out or just, you know, it's, it makes you want to use it more often. Right. So in that yeah. way, I think, you know, instead of it being manipulative and taking advantage of, I think it's actually a service. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, cool. I, I don't think you can, I don't think you can be, you know, and I, I don't know it, it's, I, you know, if you're meeting people where that, what they truly want, uh, I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't see a, a problem with that. Um, you know, and we could get into, uh, I mean, there's, I mean, the way things, the way social media programs is today, I mean, that's a whole different topic. Yeah. <laughs> we, could, we could go down the rabbit trail on that, but, um, you know, I do think, you know, in a challenging, here's a thing, here's another topic for me is like in my industry, how do I, you know, that's, I'm constantly faced with, you know, because I'm a, I'm in an industry where I'm not selling something that's, um, necessarily, uh, you know, luxurious or attractive, you know, in any way, yeah. you know, I'm selling something that's kind of uh, rudimentary industrial. In a lot of cases, it's literally a commodity, right? In some ways. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in the, the challenge that I always have in the industrial sectors is to break away from, you know, to, I, I can't be in that commodity area. You know, I have to find ways to create desire and not be a commodity. Cause if you're in a commodity, then you start talking price. And when you're starting, you know, when you're talking price, you're just, it's, it's a race to the bottom, then you've already lost. So there's a constant uh, challenge in industrial marketing and sales and in these sectors to, you know, find ways to not be, uh, a commodity and how do you tap into the desires and not just the desires of a cut. Co- you're not tapping into desires of a company. You're tapping into desires of a person, you know, as yeah. Dan Kennedy always said, you're not talking, you're never talking to a company. You're talking to a person who has hopes, dreams, desires, and fears, whether they're going to be, <laughs> you know, and, replaced, and a, laid off, you know, fired. A company, it may be three different people with three yeah. different desires. Absolutely. And you've got to figure yep. out all three and and exactly. create your proposal so it satisfies the purchasing agent, right? The CEO yep. and whoever else, you know, operations sure. manager and all that stuff, all in one. Absolutely. You know? <clears throat> Which those three people, operations, mm-hmm. purchasing, and CEO, yeah. very different desires. Yep. For sure. So uh, that's you know that's the challenge when you get into that kind of world. Uh, yeah. As opposed to the, you know, consumer world <laughs> and getting them all on the same page. Good luck. Yeah. yeah that's why it's, you get paid the big bucks right there. That's, right. that's why you're golfing all the time. You know how to do it. 
That's right. That's another, that's another avenue of, of, uh, of desire right there that you can tap into. Um, Agrees in the shoots for a little (laughs) recreation and yeah, for sure. Well, let's, um, anything else you want to cover in chapter one? No, I think this is a good start. We can, uh, I think I love this book, so I would, I'm more than satisfied to, uh, to spend, you know, another couple of episodes you know, yeah, why don't we uh, why don't we pick up since we had a guest today? Why don't we pick up in chapter two? Okay. Um, next week. Yeah, um, very good. Kind of do a deep deep dive, but we'll keep things moving for our listeners yeah. and things like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And hey, you know, if you're out there listening, you know, we stream this live at mm-hmm. um, four, four Eastern on mm-hmm. YouTube. Yeah. Um, every week. So you're uh, if you. Get in there. You can leave comments under the video. Yep. Just look for Persuasion by the Pint. Yep. Um, if you follow us and subscribe, you'll get a notification that, you know, mm-hmm. it's starting. Um, as long as Jonathan's on time, we usually start at 4 Eastern. So, uh, <laughs> Which never happens. <laughs> so you may have to wait till 4 or 5 or something like that, but right. um, it's worth the wait for sure. Yep. Yep. But yeah, we'd love to have more of you, especially this year, 2024. Uh, this is our fifth year doing the mm-hmm. show. We'd love to have more of you commenting um, and participating and giving yeah. some feedback. Yeah, especially um, on this book. If you haven't uh, picked up a copy or you don't have a copy, pick up a copy. Uh, it's fantastic. Everybody should own a copy and, you know, pick up a copy between now and next week. And, you know, let's have a discussion, bring some comments to the show for sure. Yeah. So uh, the place to get it right now is from our buddy, Brian uh, Kurtz. Yes. He owns the rights to it right now. Um, breakthrough advertising. Yes. Advertising. Yeah, I don't think you can even get it. On, you can't even get it on Amazon, can you? No, it's breakthroughadvertisingbook.com. Yeah. It's breakthroughadvertisingbook.com. Okay. Um, and yeah, Brian was on one of an episode with us. Uh, you know, he doesn't usually work on Fridays or he writes on Fridays, so he doesn't usually do shows. But we talked him into it. Cause that's mm-hmm. how good this show is. So we'll Absolutely. give him a little plug and pitch back. Yeah. Um, I think he was on probably, man, it's probably been two years ago now or more. Yep. That's um, right. But there's also, he's got some, you know, he's got some uh, bonuses that go along with the book mm-hmm. and it's not cheap. It's like 125 bucks. I think last time yeah. I looked, um, but he does give you some nice bonuses. Um, and there's even, Oh, he's got two versions now. You can get just the book mm-hmm. for 125, or you can get the bundle for 199. Get all kinds of stuff. Is that with the Brilliance Breakthrough, or is that a separate? No, it's um, it's Breakthrough Advertising Mastery exercises to help you implement. So, like a workbook or something, a training portal. Yeah, all the original ads mentioned in full color. That's cool. I have to rebuy. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Summarize chapters for quick reference. Like, yeah. So that's new. I, um, I don't know how long ago he added that, but that's kind of a cool, yeah. cool add on. So yeah. I would say this, if you, you know, if you're in copy or marketing of any kind and you don't have this book, um, I would not spend money on another course until you go through, go this through it. Yeah, absolutely. Cause most of the courses are going to be based on they're based on. Yeah. This is everything. Everybody's pull, it's kind of like Chidini, like yeah. people pull from Chidini. You know, yeah, there's just three kind or four, of... you know, in every industry out there, every niche, there's three or four books that are the root of, you know, or the, 
the grandfather yeah. kind of of that that niche mm-hmm. that world that set of information and the more you read the more you you, you notice the same books reference back to yep um and this is one of those books although you don't mm-hmm. see a lot of references to this this is kind of one of those it's a little yeah. bit more people kind of keep it to themselves <laughs> so <laughs> right um so yeah pick up the book and then join us in a conversation uh, mm-hmm. over on youtube uh, if you want yeah. to join us live absolutely all right well i'll let cool. you take us out good stuff um and yeah we will post a link on this particular episode 338 i believe is the episode yes. uh yeah three there you go 338 uh where you can buy it over at um uh brian kurtz his yeah, breakthrough advertising book.com there you go and uh We'll have that listed. Grab a copy, um, and maybe we can post a link. Can we post? A, are we allowed to post a link to that Google Doc that you shared as a summary, Sean? Or is yeah, that, that. Uh, is that private? Okay, I'll share it on the show page. You got to go to the show notes. Got to go to the show notes three thirty eight, and you can check that out. Um, to all of our listeners, you can find it over at persuasionbythepint.com, episode three thirty eight. You can also find our podcast on all of your podcast platforms, wherever you like to uh, listen, whether it's Spotify, you know, iTunes, you name it, we're there. And Sean, it's been fun, man. We'll see you all next week.